Warning, the following episode returns us to the golden age of Potterfic Weekly with the return of Jen and Chi. Stay tuned as Jen's son Lee guest hosts and Chi's non-existent microphone continue to bring us the insanity that we love. I bring you classic PFW. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. I'm Ryan and I approve this message. Welcome to the Puffwa Exchange, everybody. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jen. On the Puffwa Exchange, we are going to branch out into many different areas. Firefly, we're doing... Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica. I I would love to do West Wing. Can we do The Office? You know, one week we may do a commentary on Heroes. Next week we may come back and discuss... Mr. Darcy. Darcy. I said Darcy. You you said Darcy. Jen just developed a speech impediment. I think we should discuss the uh, effects of Frito from Godfather on... On modern literature. We TV. may do that, and I would I would join in in that discussion if I had any idea what the hell Richard was talking about. He may come back and discuss those infomercials, the play on the Sci-Fi Channel at three o'clock in the morning with the guy with the, the bald spot who goes on and on about the damn food processor and the set and forget it. Yeah, and the blonde woman who's like, "Tell me how it works." Like she's not being paid eighteen thousand dollars to stand there and look like a cat. Can't forget Farscape. <laughs> Uh, Canaveral? What about when he scams out of the stock market all that He didn't scam it out. He did not. Yeah, he did. He got the insider tip. No, he didn't. Did did you even watch the episode? I just want to know how naive his family has to be for him to be like, yeah, I've got a paper conference in India this week. Claire, I've taken care of everything. Believe me, I work in the paper business. This scene right here demonstrates the need to have a prenup. That's a puppet. (laughs) Yes, P.S. That is not an actual actor. What's a kid going to learn? from someone who decided his best option in life was to become a teacher. The Da Vinci Code. I read the books and went, oh, that's a nice story, and put it down. Everybody knows that people in Texas don't have perfect teeth. If they have teeth at all. I make kids wonder. I make them question. I make them criticize. I make them apologize and mean it. You're crazy, but I'll watch your kid anyway for free, like I always do, even though I'm a non-character. Even though the mob is looking for you and your kid. Yeah, but Micah can get her free pay-per-view, though. I make them write, write, write. The next thing I know, I'm having all these off the wall comments. So do you beat yourself to get rid of your sin? <laughs> He's like, you need to let your father go. He died ten minutes ago. He has a bow tie. I make a goddamn difference. Now what about you? Pilot's very militaristic in this one. He's like, attention! <laughs> I know! <laughs> Later on, he's like, good day. Hello. Incoming what? fleet, prepare for Starbucks. I personally don't want to get busy amid buckets of pine salt. Really? Nothing turns me on like the smell of ammonia. O'Brien is just a yutz in this episode. He breaks the enterprise. <laughs> and Kira is in with the orb like, mm, oh. <laughs> My generation is more colorblind. Please tell me my destiny. I'm a kid with a soccer ball. <laughs> the race riots in LA? I don't remember. I don't remember the OJ Simpson trial. And Dargo has a headband. <laughs> it makes them feel pretty. DVC menus like, and boxes are written in an alien language, <laughs> which is unfortunate. <laughs> Maybe that's why they named the episode Premiere, because if they called it Drawback, no one would know where to start the show. We dropped these after this DVD. I don't know what goes there. Breaking Dawn, I was there at the bookstore at midnight to get my copy of the book. And he's standing there looking down at the screen, talking to Spock. I'm like, all Spock could see was your crotch. He's naked. 
There were girls there that I swear they could not have been older than nine or ten. Their moms had read the first three books with them and thought this next book is going to be just like it. No. I think there's a very good horror writer trapped in this woman who is longing to get out. He would be jello on the side of the wormhole. There's no way that thing was built to sustain this. When they lean against the shuttle, it like caves in. <laughs> this thing was made of plywood. There are a lot of very graphic sex scenes in a lot of fan fiction. And you go back and you look at these authors' profiles, and they're like 15 and 16 years old. And if this is what you think sex is like, we as a society are going to have a big problem. Three, two, one, click. Hey, you stupid thing, start. Okay, why don't we go back <laughs> to the main menu? Visit us at perfectexchange.com. Um, if you need help spelling that like I probably would, because what the hell kind of word is puff for? It's P-O-U-F-W-A-H. Oh, no, H. All right, let me start again. P O U F A. There's not any. <laughs> Who named this thing? Oh, my God. P O U F W A. Is that right? It's P O U F W A. Do you say it so people can understand you? The website again for the last time is puffwaexchange.com. P-O-U-F-W-A-Exchange.com. Somebody is, like, dragging a body across the microphone. Yeah, but what does that have to do with testicles? Ladies and gentlemen, Jen is back. Yes. (laughs) Horace, the big H, does not make an appearance in the story. Doesn't. I know. It drives me crazy. Like, I was waiting for him to appear, and I was waiting for him to appear, and I was like, surely, surely he'll appear. (laughs) Surely, because he hasn't shown up yet. It must be some awesome Merlin. Merlin. He must be Merlin. And he's not in the thing at all. I have to, I've got to, like, ask Ella what he was doing in the story. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> How dare you be about Horace Slughorn? I figure, I figure that Harry and Ron and Ginny just wanted him had to have a happy retirement so they left him alone. Oh. That, that had to be it. They were only doing it for that, him. That that it. Yeah, that, that's yeah. for sure. He didn't think he was enjoying his retirement too much when we met him in book six. No, he wasn't enjoying his retirement. He was living in fear. That's I was, what I'm like, saying. Was he, like, under furniture? <laughs> I was I was worried about him because if they don't ever go get him, he's still living in fear. Like I was really worried about him. Oh no, he's probably still under the furniture. Something has to him. They'll just have to make a third one, and it'll have to be them going back into their bodies again to save Horace (laughs) (laughs) from himself. Oh well, as long as he's hiding under the furniture with Leonide, I figure he's okay. Yeah, maybe they'll give him a cruise or something. Horace Leonide, my OTP. Very true. It's very sad. It's very true. My face is like red right now. Every once in a while you say stuff that makes me want to give you a hug, yes. And then I go to reach for my pillow. Ah. (laughs) I'm sorry. I've got to go heat up a bottle. I'll be right back. For Saturday, April 25th, 2009, this is episode 75 of Potterpick Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Onto the wonder of 
Weekly. I'm Renna. I'm Lady Chi. I'm P.S. Mike. I'm Tim. That was completely different than we've ever done it before. I think yeah, Pupu- there are certain Pupuikins that are like rolling over in their podcast graves right now. Like, oh, no. <laughs> it did feel a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know where to go. And I forgot Jen was here. Not that I forgot. <laughs> Thank you, here, Chi. I, not that I forgot that you were here. Like, because I'm happy that you're here, but I'm just so used to you not being here that I was like, oh, that's the way Talk oh. about the longest hiatus ever. I apologize, Pufuanians. I have been a wall. <laughs> there's no excuse. She was just well, bringing a life into the excuse. world. <laughs> there's no, there's no excuse for that, you know. Not yeah, sorry about that. Taking care of yourself during a pregnancy. Yeah, Jeez. nine months of, of feeling like crap. <laughs> it just, <laughs> I just laid in bed and felt sorry for myself, and then he comes out, and I'm all better. <laughs> So have you have you gotten people um, asking you uh, <laughs> when you're going to have the next one yet? Because that happened. The nurses at the hospital were. I was like, "Are you freaking kidding me?" <laughs> yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, they asked me. You have a C-section. You have a two-week visit at, with mm-hmm. your OB, and he was like, "And we can start to, when you come back. We'll talk about birth control because, or you may just want to start having your second one." I'm like, "Uh, <laughs> like they don't even ask you. They're just like assume that there's going to be a new one." My God, they think quickly. you could have another one now like if you got pregnant like, now they, they would be like in the same year at school I know. oh that would just be horrible to get pregnant right now can you imagine it's really hard to get pregnant while you're nursing if it makes you feel better it's well. not impossible but it's hard <laughs> yeah anyway we're still, gonna, we're still gonna work really hard at not being pregnant <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. what else is new? I guess I've been gone a while, but I don't. I don't have an excuse. I was just being lazy. <laughs> I don't. Oh, <laughs> no, I took a job and I was training at that job for six weeks, which is customer service, which will treat teach you a lot about how stupid people are. For instance, I took this call. This woman wanted to know how to dial out of the country, which is a reasonable question. Most people don't ever have to dial out of the country. And I was like, okay, I don't know how. Like, so which country do you want to call? And she's like, Texas. Which country? <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. yeah, I'm a country now. So, I'm like, you, you you, need an area code. That, that's, you know. Well, Texas that's, did that's used to be another country. Maybe she was from, like. Yeah, maybe she's been time traveling from 1860s. Wait, we were our own. Hey, I've got one better. I've got one better. One of my husband's aunts. They took a trip to Hawaii. She went to the bank to get her money changed to Hawaiian dollars. Are you serious? <laughs> Dead serious. Oh, she wants to get all of her American dollars changed to Hawaiian dollars for the trip. She's not exactly a Mensa member. You get <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh, y'all. Okay, I have to tell you about this microbiology class I'm taking, okay? Okay. This will be my little interlude. And, and from now on, we'll do our Aaron's Wacky Microbiology Professor moment. Because <laughs> my professor is this crazy Pakistani guy. And the first lab, I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever taken a microbiology class before, but the very first thing you always do in micro is you culture yourself, like your hand or your hair or the inside of your nose or whatever. And you culture it and you grow it out on a dish so that everybody can be like, oh my God, I'm disgusting. But um, <laughs> So we were getting ready to do it. And, you know, he's demonstrating how to streak the plate and all that kind of stuff. And he says, he comes afterwards and he says, now, once you touch the plate, do not touch your face again, because you will be putting the bacteria food on your face and you will wake up tomorrow and you will look at it and you will say, what shit is this? <laughs> That is awesome. <laughs> I just fell off my chair. What shit is this? And so, and then, that okay, so that was the first class. That was the first class. In my class last night, we were talking about acid bath staining and gram staining and stuff like that. And they were talking about, you know, well, why do you need to find out if it's a gram positive or a gram negative and different classifications of antibiotics is what we were, ended up talking about. And he was saying that the reason that E. coli... Sorry, there is no sound effect for E. coli. ...bacteria in hospitals was resistant to Levaquin was because there weren't enough large men being nurses to hose off the big fat women in hospitals who peed on themselves. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. What? Okay, say that part again. The, re- I, the reason that... There's a strain of E. coli in hospitals, kind of like okay. um, MRSA first came out of hospitals. Yes, uh, they, yes. They call it half hospital staff. Well, there's a strain of E. coli that is resistant to antibiotics in hospitals. And he said that the reason that it happened was because there weren't enough big men as nurses to help pick up these older, like big fat women who I mean, end up in the hospital. I mean, are we talking about like the people that have to be like craned out of their homes people? No, he's just talking about women who pee on themselves <laughs> apparently when they're in the hospital. Being treated for E. coli right now. Why did they do use the catheter? <laughs> No, this is awful. I know. And so we're all just staring at him. Like, are you kidding? And so he says this, and then he starts laughing, and he says, now, my job is it's not just to educate you. It is to entertain you as well, because microbiology is boring as fuck. <laughs> are you kidding me? No. And he said, when I was in graduate school, I, I, was, I fell asleep so many times, they almost kicked me out of the program. And I talked to my lecturer, and he says, we're going to kick you out of the program. And I said, well, if you were such a boring ass, I would not fall asleep. Oh, my gosh. See, this is – I'm going to tell my husband this because he's a lab tech, and he specializes in microbiology and something else. Yeah. And so yeah. he will find this extremely hilarious. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. And what he's are you also, going for? What are you going back to school for? I thought you were already a nurse. No, I am. I'm in I'm in uh, respiratory therapy school. Oh, okay. But wow. I have to do this as a co-requisite class. I never oh, – okay. well, I, I started to take it last year in the spring semester, but with the tornadoes and the ice storm and the flooding and then falling and breaking my tailbone and blah, 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 okay. I ended ended up dropping the class about halfway through. So I have to take it this semester as a co-requisite class. And he's also he's also managed to talk about syphilis in every single one of our classes. Oh my gosh. Well, syphilis is awesome, but that is hilarious. I, I love House, the show, yes. and all the cool stuff's always syphilis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. But so he talks about syphilis all the time. But so this is, yeah, this is my crazy microbiology professor. But so if no one else has any stories, we'll jump in here <laughs> with chapter 25. Um, now, this is the second episode that we've recorded on this this particular story is that correct third. third okay well this is the first one that i've done i think 
there was a mix up with the scheduling. So I want to know, especially since we just got Chi and Jen back, I want to know what you guys think about the Weasleys in this story. Freaking hate them, stupid jerks. <laughs> and I never thought that I would say that about the Weasleys. I love them, but man, I hate them. But do you understand why they're behaving the way they do? Yeah, but I still think they're horrible. Like, okay, as much as I'm sure the author meant to make you hate them, like that's the point of, you know, things being different, blah, blah, blah. And I understand that. But like some part of it, I feel like it's hard to believe because I don't feel like Molly and Arthur that I know would ever turn their backs completely on their own kids. And, you know, I can understand sort of the whole Harry stuff, you know, maybe not as far as they're taking it in the story. But yeah, as far as just like their characters in the story, I freaking hate them. (laughs) What do you think? Ryan told me I had to be nice. Was I mean? I'm sorry. Ryan's not here. So Finn is I driving agree. the boat tonight, so come on, be as honest as you want to be. Um, I basically, I agree with everything that Jen is saying. She does her best to sort of justify what she's doing with the characters. I think sometimes when you're now, this is a grand generalization, and I get in trouble when I make grand generalizations, but I'm gonna risk it. I think in general, when you're doing an AU and you feel like you have to do things differently from the canon, there's a tendency to take it too far to kind of move in a direction that's not. I mean, I'm not saying that everything has to be like canon. But I am saying that if you're writing an alternate universe, the point of the alternate universe is to use the same characters in a slightly different setting. And what they've done to Molly and Arthur in particular is sort of rob them of their base giving nature and turn them into something that's unpalpable. Like I had a hard time liking the Weasleys and I had a hard time liking Harry and I've never, I rarely have a hard time liking Harry. But what I want to say is that these characters were very difficult to stomach, I think, for a lot of people. And I think that that has, it's been a point of contention for the story. It's a very polarizing mm-hmm. story among certain communities, <laughs> especially people who are all, you know, yay, Weasleys, we love the Weasleys, you know. I think it makes sense the way that she did it. It's like Ryan and pasta salad. Ryan hates pasta salad. It doesn't matter how you make pasta salad, Ryan's just not going to like it. Now, me, it's the Weasleys. If you mess up the Weasleys, even if you justify it, even if it makes sense, even if you've done your job well as an author and she has done her job well as an author I'm still not necessarily going to like it because that's not the flavor that I like but I I still think sometimes she went a little we can talk about the ways that I think that she went to extremes in the wrong way as we get more in depth in the conversation I think the reason this fic is so polarizing is that the text itself the narrative itself is so polarized Harry and Jenny are either boinking like bunnies or like there's (laughs) massive amounts of angst and there's not like a whole lot of in between and she moves extremely quickly through a story which has its advantages and its disadvantages. The advantage is that you're not rehashing things that you know from the canon. And the disadvantage is that it does sort of tend to give you a little bit of whiplash when it comes to some of the character developments that she makes. It is a point of contention for a lot of people, and and that's why I was curious to see what you guys specifically thought about it, because I, I don't blame them in a second. I mean, the way that she set this up, I don't blame them in for one second for behaving the way they do. I think there is a point where she crosses a line, but mm-hmm. one of my favorite, favorite, favorite scenes in this entire story that I I think really sets up the difference between this timeline and the canon timeline that we're used to is the scene in the shed with the sandwiches. 
that I think, and and I think that if it had just been little moments like that, I mean, I agree that the the split between the family is is pushing it a little bit. I understand them pushing Harry away, not wanting anything to do with it. But I I think that Molly and Arthur would fight more to have contact with their kids. I think they do though. Yeah. I, th- I think the thing is they don't push Ginny and Ron away. They st- the thing is they still think of Ginny and Ron as being whatever they are, twelve or thirteen at the time, and they're or fourteen. Uh, and their impression is that okay, understand that I think we all agree. Okay, we understand why they don't like Harry because of what they think he's doing and who they think he is. And so they're not they're not trying to kick their children out. They're trying to kick Harry out. And it doesn't even enter their mind because what normal 14-year-old, you know, like you'll, you'll, you'll be angry and thought, but the normal 14-year-old doesn't march out of the house. I don't think it was them that pushed, that caused a split in the family. I think it was Ginny and Ron who left. And the I next time that. they see Ginny and Ron, they're trying to apologize. I know that. And, and that's what I'm saying. I think that they wouldn't have accepted that. They would have pushed harder the Weasleys from canon. But again, these aren't the ones we're talking about. But that moment in the shed with the sandwiches right there, I mean, that outlines the difference. And if it had just been little moments like that to really drive home that this is not the same family feeling the same way about this child, that it's completely different. I mean, I really, I, that was one of my absolute favorite moments in this entire story. It's definitely one that stood out in my mind because I just couldn't believe that. It's sort of like the lost puppy syndrome. Like, you, you may not own the puppy, but you're still going to, like, see the puppy and want to, like, help it and feed it and take care of it. And yeah. it's like they don't even have that basic giving attitude towards Harry even at that point. Like, it's obvious Harry needs someone to talk to and Arthur won't even give him the time of day at that moment. But I just want to reiterate, when I said earlier like, I hated the Weasleys, it had nothing to do with the writing style or it not being justified in the story. Like, but that it was justified so well that I still hated that they didn't have that basic giving need to, you know, take in the little lost kid type. Room. That's not different. There's still offering. They're still making these offers. But the difference is that in this universe, there was that article from the Daily Prophet, and it colored everyone's perception of Harry. The Weasleys are still good people, but their perception of Harry has been colored by this article that wasn't there in the other timeline. To me, it's not even just the article, though. The article certainly lays a foundation, but I think one of the themes that you see a lot coming up in this fic is that because Harry's really, however old he is, 30 or whatever the age is, he can't act like he did the first time around. And I think that has to be part of it, too, that he doesn't act with the Weasleys as he did the first time around, because he's not an 11-year-old innocent orphan boy who's sort of lost in the world. And I think that has to take, even on a subconscious level, a certain effect on their react- interactions. Yeah, and I also think it's really the change in Ron and Ginny, too, because they think it must have come from Harry, because they have no other source for it to come from. I mean, they go into the whole Harry situation with an open mind. Like, they invite him to come stay for Christmas, because he's Ron's friend and they want to be nice to him and they want to see if this article stuff is true. But then they see that Ron and Ginny have changed for the worst from their perspective so they think that the stuff in the article must have been true. I mean, they give him three chances. They don't kick him out after first year. They only kick him out after third year when they think that he was messing Ginny. Which is an interesting sort of reaction to that situation because I think we have all been caught at that age. I got caught at that age. (laughs) I, I don't, I think that reaction was a little bit extreme. I mean, it's not that it's not well written, because I don't think that that's what I'm arguing. It's just that it's really hard to swallow a Harry Potter universe without the Weasleys. The mental image of my mind of a 15-year-old Harry and his personality that she's superimposing on him from all these years away, where he's, like, drinking fire whiskey and making Vietnam War jokes, you know, <laughs> about how he's gonna kill all these various people, like, really left a really horrible taste in my mouth. 
mouth. I don't want this to come across as criticizing the author, but it came across as somebody outside of the story wanting vengeance upon these characters and not necessarily a Harry that I recognize trying to do what's right because it, it really did get kind of the the, the the talking and it got kind of like nasty. And I know war does things to people, but I think at the heart of it, Harry is just somebody that's trying to do what's right. And right. that's not exactly what you get from this story. You don't get that characterization of Harry. I do. I just, I feel like, how do I want to put this? He's jaded from war. He's very jaded, but he still wants to do the right thing and he's re- willing to risk everything. He and Ron and Ginny and the three of them, they're willing to just, to kill themselves. To go back and to fix it because because the price was too high. And they're doing this for people who in this universe don't even care you know for all intents and purposes they came back to save the weasleys and in this universe it's just that connection that that familial feeling is just not there and they're doing it anyway you know if 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 he didn't want to do the right thing if he wasn't still deep down the kid who needed to save everybody he loved you know he could have just as easily turned his back and left i think think accepting the way that things had gone would be turning his back and leaving honestly i I think think he was selfish to go back in a way we were talking about this last episode but to a certain extent it's not like um the other thing we did where everyone is dead it seems like a significant portion of the wizarding population survived the wars won the society's intact people are everyone's kind of going on except ron and harry and because a lot of their friends died but not even all of their you know like i wonder like if someone like um i think it was seamus who they meet at like you know someone who lived in their world dies in this world in this war you know how can they possibly you know how could they cope with that or how can they justify that was what i i don't think they thought it through yeah, I mean, enough. they aren't connected to... Because, see, the thing is, it's the people they're not close to. Like, for example, taking the random example, Cho. In the first world, Cedric died, and Cho married a muggle. But, well, what if in this world, Cho marries Cedric because he's alive? Like, what happens to this muggle guy and their kids don't exist? You know, like, that's kind of a slippery slope. Do you get what I mean? Well, I mean, it's it's almost... It's all sort of, like, very timey-wimey and hoobian. <laughs> like, it's just kind of... Um, I don't think that they thought it through, but I don't think that that's necessarily necessarily a bad thing. I do think if you're going to tell this kind of story, there has to be an element of selfishness in it. It couldn't really start without the selfish thing. I would just, I think we were just pointing out that it is, because to to even do it in the first place, there has to be some degree yeah. of selfishness, I mean, but like, it may not be a bad thing, because then we would have no story. In these three, Harry, Ron, and Ginny are like in no way psychologically healthy people. Like, they've been kind of messed up, and I think that's the point. Yeah, they all have like probably post-traumatic stress disorders. Well, yeah, I mean, you could argue that, that anybody that comes through a situation like this is going to behave that way. And I mean, and I don't know. It's strange to think about all this stuff happening when these kids are kids because they're not even written like kids. And yeah. they're not kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, and, and they don't, by this point, where we're at in the story, they're not even pretending to be kids anymore. Well, there is, there was one scene with like Ron and Hermione that I was reading, and it was like Ron was like, let's get you to bed. And Hermione was like, uh, not, that's not going to happen. He was like, not yet. Yeah, and like I have to remember, oh yeah, they're not thirty; they're fourteen or something. Well, yeah, Hermione so, is, and Ron isn't, and that like to some degree that actually kind of skeeved me out a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> like he, he's like a planned seducer, basically going in. To some degree, you, know? you didn't want to take the brain out <laughs> of your skull and rub it. <laughs> like Do you know what kept it kept making me think though? I kept going, okay, let's think here. You know, I keep thinking, okay, I'm twenty six. 
six. I'm not even as old as these people are. To 11. And just being around 11-year-olds and trying to think of them as equals and them have, showing the maturity that I would require to be interested. I don't... Does that make sense? Like, to me, I feel like Hermione and them should have been written a bit younger at times. Yeah, but yeah. also, it's like, I think what you almost were going there was like, Ron seeing 11-year-old Hermione, like, how is that going to do, like, the same thing to him? You know, like, if you went back in time and, like, met James as a kid, would you, like, see James or would you see, like, some kid? I know. Well, I'm not even... Well, not even going to the physical aspect. Like, just the mental capacity to hold a 26-year-old conversation versus an 11-year-old conversation. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what throws me off at times. Not necessarily that Harry and them aren't written to their age, because I feel that they are, but their conversations with the kids are not what they should be at times. Is that Does that make sense? That makes I a lot of sense. A lot of times they were, like, in some weird mix of, like, coddling the kids and, like, not doing yeah. enough to protect the kids. Like, I had a problem with them taking Hermione with them when they yeah. when they went on the run. I was like, this, this is a, she is a, she is, like, 15 years old and they're taking well, her out of school. she wasn't even 15, was she? To go on she the 14. run. No, she was 15 because it was the beginning of, of um, Oh, okay. Five. She was 15, I mean, almost 16. But, like, I mean, she's just a child and they're taking her on the run with them and into dangerous situations. She hasn't even taken her newt levels yet. Like, how could she possibly yeah. hold her own? Her newt level, she hasn't taken her owl her, levels yet. Our owl levels. Do you know what I mean? Like, how could she possibly hold her own? That's where she starts that physical relationship with Ron again. Like, you have to think, like, if you are really in the situation, like, okay, pretend like this could actually happen. And you meet somebody that, for all intents and purposes, is 15 years older than you at 15 and you have a relationship with them. That's not in no way healthy. We have to remember that they grew up to get, it's not like they're going back and meeting an age that they never knew that person at before. Right, I know. But I'm still saying, like, there's not this purity of, not that I'm saying that all relationships have to be pure, but there is a certain degree of how much manipulating is Ron doing. You Ron know? should be mature enough to wait till she's an adult, even if Hermione is willing not to wait. The adult thing to do is to yeah. is to wait till she's 17. Even how they're handling Luna and Neville, I was sort of like, okay, they're treating them like adults, and that's the thing. Like They're acting like adults, and they're not adults. Can't really say one thing or the other about the way they treat Luna, because Luna no. has always been... I mean, <laughs> Luna figures it out when she's, what, 10? Luna is just... She's, she's the unusual... You know, I don't want to say she's the fly in the ointment here, but she's definitely maybe the gorilla in the corner. You don't really know what to do with her (laughs) because she knows and she's so bizarre and she she doesn't react the way a normal child would. And so I don't necessarily I don't think I would even necessarily say that she's out of character or too adult because you can't, you know, because it's so hard to characterize her. I'll agree with that. I don't even think Neville is out of character because I think Neville is trying to get Harry's approval. Like, Neville hero worships Harry, especially now that he knows he's an adult. It's just that relationship together. It does seem to me a little bit like she falls into that trap, like most of us do, where everybody's kind of paired off into happy little couples, because nobody can be happy and single, you know? <laughs> like, it just, it just seemed kind of weird well, to me. It just seems at times that they were trying not to draw too big a line between Harry and Jenny and Ron and Hermione's relationship, when Ron and Hermione's new relationship is completely different, because Hermione mm-hmm. hasn't experienced anything with Ron as to Ron has those memories. I don't know. It, it would be, if I were Hermione at that, the new Hermione, I would be totally creeped out. Like, <laughs> I don't know. 
like you've seen me naked, but I don't recall that happening. That type of, do you know what I mean? What would you do, Jen, if you went back in time and James is like 12? Not necessarily sexual, but like, would you be trying to strike up some sort of relationship with him? Or would you like... Well, definitely, because I think it's the same concept as with the Weasleys. You're still, they're still saving them because of how they used to be and how, you know, they're still, I I wonder, I, I think Rena had said something earlier about even though they're totally acting like jerks in this timeline, they're still, Harry and them are still saving them. They're still trying to help them and blah, blah, blah. But I think part of that's because of what the memories that they had of that person. And I think that, yeah, if James was 12 and lived next door to me and I knew that James and I would be married someday and I knew what kind of man James would be turning into, absolutely I would want to be friends with him at that age. That, you know, to start and maybe manipulate that relationship to where we didn't have to wait as long. Absolutely. Even if that but is the perverted. The thing with Ron is he acts different. I guess you kind of wonder, like, what did Hermione fall in love with in the first future? Because from the beginning, Ron acted different. He was being nicer to Hermione. He wasn't, remember, because he, he, he didn't say yeah. the moment that sent her to the bathroom. He asked her out to the ball. Yeah, he's not going to make that mistake twice. <laughs> I think in my first, you know, I've just read this yesterday and today, and I think in my first initial thought, I, I kept going, they're going to do something here that, like, even though he's manipulating fate, fate's still going to happen. Like, things are still going to happen in the way, but... Well, I, and the thing is, and this comes from reading the sequel, you find out that there are some very specific rules about time travel that aren't as, I should say, hammered into your skull in this story as they are in in the sequel. Because, I mean, you you learn them pretty hard and fast and and you learn that there are certain things that just can't be changed. Certain events are going to happen. Harry's still going to be the chosen one, that kind of thing. Right, yes. No matter what happens, when they go back in time, no matter, you know, Harry's still going to be the chosen one. What if they went back in time, though, until before? Because isn't the whole thing in canon that it could have been Harry or Neville until Voldemort chose? So if you went back in time to when Harry was a baby and then just took him away so Voldemort couldn't find him, or, you know, or or, or before. That's what they do. I mean, you got to read the sequel. Yeah, you got to read the sequel. But without giving too much away, they try to take Harry away to make sure that Harry does not become the chosen one and it doesn't work because Harry was always, is always going to be the chosen one. I see. You know, they couldn't go back and make it to where Ron and Ginny were never born. They couldn't go back and make it to where James or Lily was never born. You know, certain events are destined to happen the way that they do. No matter when they go back, whatever they change, it isn't going to make a difference because the end the end event is still going to happen. So then, are you saying also then that, let's see, went back in time, Arthur Weasley cannot be killed no matter what until he hits the age of 30? No, I think she's saying that certain timeline, certain timeline events have to happen. Right. But I, I, I guess I, I could see the chosen one, but with a birth of a child, can't you just kill the parents and then the kid, or one of the parents and then the According to the laws set out by this universe, if that child was supposed to be born, if they were going to be an integral part of something down the road, then you could go back in time as many times as you wanted to and try to kill that child or kill the parent or the grandparent or whoever, and it wouldn't work. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, whatever is happening, it cannot change, you know, certain events, you know, like encouraging, say, you know, you go back in time because, you know, somebody's going to get attacked by Death Eaters and it's not a real significant attack. So you go back in time and you convince that person to walk on the other side of the street and then they don't get attacked by Death Eaters that day. You know, you might be able to change that. If that attack was a pivotal moment, if it was, you know, the turning point in the war or if it finally opened somebody's eyes, I mean, if it was a pivotal moment, then you could tell that person, 
to walk on the other side of the street, and the Death Eaters would attack the other side of the street. Think about things that have happened in this fic and the other one we've read where Harry tried to change something and it wound up happening in a different way. I can't think of an example in this story, but I keep thinking back to the example of Nightmares where he didn't let Neville get hurt or whatever, but he got hurt worse on the flying lessons. Like, if you try to keep something from happening, if it's one of these certain things that you can't change, it'll still happen. It'll still happen, no matter what you do. I see what you're saying. I just I just don't think it makes I don't I don't like the idea. But it, I see it'll make saying. sense, I guess, to the writer. You know, this is going to stay. It's going to be important. Well, for instance, would Voldemort being defeated by Harry be something that can't be changed? Like, no matter what, Voldemort will be defeated by Harry because that's such a pivotal thing. No, because well, well I'm not going to yes. spoil everybody <laughs> to tell you, Mike. I'm going to put it in our little box. Well, because it seems to me that, that you're Absolutely. just being really selective about what sort of things are pivotal and what sort of things aren't pivotal. Mike, you really need you to read to, what you have to do. You need to read the sequel because the sequel is not necessarily a sequel as much as it is a story that goes along with this story that explains a lot more about what's going on. But you're not looking at it from the right time perspective, basically, is what I'm going to say. Okay. Because. Well, it's hard, too, to look at it from a perspective when you haven't read it. When you don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, when you don't know what, what <laughs> <to this. laughs> But you've got me in Certain now. things that lead up to the battle. Certain things that lead up to the battle were destined to happen, and they had to happen a certain way. But certain items that not necessarily, you know, it's, it's like she said, he saved Neville from doing something, but he got hurt worse doing something else. You know, some th- sometimes things are going to happen whether you want it to or not. But sometimes with certain choices, with certain pivotal big things, you just had to get to that point. And fate doesn't have a say of which way it goes. It just gets you to that point is, I guess, the way that I understood it. It's kind of like free will. What is free will? Fate only takes you so far. After that, it's up to you. And that's what I think is is kind of the end game here. But let's start talking about our chapters for tonight. <laughs> this is a really hefty story. I mean, it's I'm I'm so excited that it's, somebody it's nominated hard to it. Just and... jump in because especially like you guys haven't been on the previous two. Yeah. I know I have, and Mike's been on one of them. But I know when you're jumping into podcasting on a story in the middle of the series, you really have to stay your thoughts on the previous chapter. So I do have to say that I think I probably laughed for about 45 minutes at the line when Moody told Harry that the ministry was a bunch of boobies. I guess deep down I'm like a 12-year-old boy and so I hear boobies. <laughs> I think my favorite part was where Sirius and Remus are talking and they realize that they both lost their virginity to the same, same woman. <laughs> I about fell out of my chair. What was it when we recorded the Lavender Brown ones? You know, Harry was thinking well, I could save the Wizarding World, but on the other hand, boobies! <laughs> That's really what I thought when I read this. You know, when I went back through it for the recording tonight, because we just recorded those Lavender Brown episodes not too long ago. I did kind of want to um, talk about, like, compare and contrast this story to Lavender Brown and, and possibly Nightmares of Futures Past. My thought is that I think that we've had pretty much different views of how you use sex in narratives. In this, it's kind of like an afterthought. Like, whenever you read something really depressing in the chapter, like, you know it's going to be okay, because by the end of it, she's going to give you a little bit of Harry playing with Jenny's boobs to make you feel better about life. And Lavender Brown was sort of like, everything kind of revolved around the relationship. Not that they don't hear, but there was a much more emphasis on the sexual side of things with Lavender Brown. Well, I think and that has to do with, with the idea that these aren't horny teenagers. These are 30-year-olds in the bodies of teenagers, so they're not quite as hormonal. Wasn't hormonal a physical thing? I mean, wouldn't, isn't it a physical thing? Like, we'd have the hormones of a 14-year-old, even if they were themselves mentally 30. I think so, 
because that's why they chose to like wait. I'm not sure that anything could happen. For the right. record, if somebody told me if I went, if I could go back, I could save the world if I went back to being 12 years old, I would seriously have to think about it because he really sucks. Oh, I like yeah. being 12. But I mean, I think that part of the reason why sex itself is not as all encompassing of a theme as it was in, say, Lavender Brown is that these aren't typical teenage boys. It already happened. They already know what they went through at that time. And so even if they still have the same hormones, they know better how to control themselves. Well, that goes back also to like they're tra- they're all like traumatized a bit, you know, like how important yeah. is sex when everybody's dead? Why isn't the whole point that Harry can't have- control his hormones? I mean, that's why he gets kicked out of the Weasleys. Well, no, that he couldn't. Well, because the trio anyway couldn't control their hormones. There was almost a point here in the story where I felt like the few sex scenes that we have, and I think it counted like two or three in this this set of chapters. I almost wish they weren't there, really, because I didn't feel like it. I, I didn't feel like it added or subtracted. It was just kind of there. See, you know, I, I think she did that on purpose. I think she did yeah. that on purpose. Because even if you go through on 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 fanfic.net, it it says in big bold letters, "sexy bits coming." Skip if you're underage. So I think she did that on purpose, so that in case she wanted to post it at a site where you could only do PG type stories, it could be taken out without taking without losing anything from the story. I'm kind of one of those people that kind of feels a certain way about about using sex and fiction and i mean unless you're doing porn without plot which i love not gonna lie perfectly <laughs> fine with porn without plot i just feel like if you're doing a plotty story and you're gonna do sex intermingled with plot you really almost have to justify it you know it kind of has to be integral that's just my opinion it's kind of one of those things that always just kind of makes me blink about this story a very good point I'm not saying that, that it's wrong. I'm just saying it was a different, like, use of sex. And that's, you know, I, it's interesting to me as somebody that spends a lot of time writing about sex, because I do, um, just, like, the interesting, <laughs> the ways that people, the different ways people use it as a literary vice. So, we have this, you know, we're, we're kind of recapping the trial here. And so we find out about the verdict, and we find out that Gilderoy Lockhart has tossed his name out to try and get a reward. And um, I kind of like the characterization of Lockhart in this sense because I think that this sounds very much like something he would do. I will say, I think I find interesting Albus's relationship with Harry. Please call me Albus. I was like, no, it's wrong. I know. I was like, I'm not sure I buy that. It's another way that this universe is sort of very much distinguished from the original. I think, though, the reason that I like the way that that Dumbledore did tell Harry to call him Albus because it's a show of faith. It's a show in the very beginning that he believes that Harry's telling the truth. And I think that, I'm not going to say it was necessary, but I think it went a long way in proving that Dumbledore believed them. Yes. In the original, did the adult call Albus Albus? Because I don't recall. Minerva some does, did. I think. Some did. Minerva no, did. I meant like serious. That's Arena how you know they were having hot sex everywhere yeah. they went, because she called him Albus. Christ on a bike. Did anyone call him Albus? Um, yeah, we don't know. Plenty of people. Huh? We, we don't really know, because... Okay. I was like, because that's kind of why it throws me off a bit, I think, because I don't think everybody just was blatantly Albus. Well, but at the same time, a lot of a lot of times when we saw these characters, it was in the setting of the school. And while Minerva would call him Albus in, in the school setting, you know, you go into your high school and a lot of the teachers were still refer to each other as Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so during the day. I think they do that with the students. You know, like the teachers will yeah. be like, well, Fessel Dumbledore said this. I mean, it's like the same way that your parents call each other mom and dad when they're talking to you. They're not like... So I think that, yeah, I mean, that's 
that's what I think it is. I think that probably a lot more people did call him Albus, but we just didn't see that side of it because the books were from Harry's point of view and Harry was a kid. Yeah, and I, I think it's a sign that Harry's an adult and he's more of an equalist. Like, there are certain people that you're always going to respect on that level, you know? I think Albus Dumbledore is one of those people. For Harry, it just kind of, it seemed kind of weird, but I enjoyed how they are. It wasn't so much Dumbledore being evil and manipulating Harry so much as Harry and Dumbledore were being evil and manipulating everybody else. At the end of this chapter, I do think it's kind of funny when, you know, yes, this is where we get to the sexy bit, but um, when it, it's talking about Harry and Ginny's first time from the original universe, and she apparates into his room, and he was in a rather compromising position with himself. <laughs> I I thought that was just about the damn funniest thing I've ever read. I mean... Well, what's, what's more funny than walking in on a guy taking care of himself, really? If you think about it, I mean, you, there's so many things when you, when you talk about the magical world that you think, man, that would be so awesome. But then you read a scene like this, and you're just like, holy crap, I think I would die if somebody apparated into my bedroom and I was masturbating. I thought, I mean, I just thought that was so funny that, because let's face it, sex is funny, you know? Yeah. It's mortifying when you're in the moment, but it's pretty damn funny. And I just, <laughs> It is I kind thought, of like objectively ridiculous. I so. loved it. I loved, And I love that Jenny was just like, oh, you know, I do it too. It's okay. <laughs> Whoa! Like, I like that she doesn't get like all of it. Like, you know, have you ever read a fic where like some girl walks in on her true love masturbating and she's all, I can't believe you would do that when I could do that for you. Like, who, what girl actually has that reaction? I'm usually like, okay, how about it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Go ahead. You're going to save me 20 minutes. <laughs> I've got better things to do. I'll be back in. Oh, I just did my nails. Can you just take care of yourself? Thanks. Oh, <laughs> Shut up. The boxy nexus. Have fun. See you in 20. Like, yeah. Well, they are married, so, you know, whatever. But, I mean, I just, that was, I thought that was very particularly funny. It was. One thing that kind of irked me a bit was how, again, a, a story I feel that they haven't done Tonks justice, even though her part is very small in mm-hmm. some of these scenes. They, I hate, I hate that they, they simplify her, almost like the little sad puppy who shows herself with sad little face. Like, they're like, they point everything out. Like, she turns her hair dark blue, and he assumed that meant that she was sad. I'm like, well, there's a lot of stories where Tonks is just like, hey, look at me. And so in the course of a five minute conversation she has 15 different hair colors and you know <laughs> i think this is kind of the opposite of that where it's not as high energy as tonks usually That's, is i just wish that somebody would actually take the time to give her if they're going to incorporate her in the story like show some of you know what she's like some of her bravery and and, and th- courage and things instead they just show her like this dorky idiot sure. yeah, yeah this idiot no emotions or thought she just sort of changes her hair a lot yeah that's kind of what she's like in canon. Like, yeah, I was like, I'm like, I'm not going to say anything here, but really, um, that is what she pretty much well, is. Well, in six and seven, I mean, that's not all she is. They show a bit more depth there. I think fanfic does. I don't think that they, in canon she kind of like she has one really good scene with Ramus at the end of Lord of the Phoenix where she kicks his ass. I'm I want to be Dora Tonks like T-shirt on while I was reading that scene, but um, <laughs> she's one of those characters that kind of like Horace Leghorn. You can take in a variety of different directions because you're given the very base level amount of information about her. Like, you know less about her than you know about Remus, and that's saying something because you know a whole lot about Remus, other than he's angsty and irresponsible sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Horace is 10,000 times more awesome than Tonks. More about Slughorn than you do about Tonks, thinking about it. No. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think you can extrap- I mean, we're extrapolate more. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think it's just because Joe Rowling completely sucks when it comes to writing relationships, though. You don't like the monster in Harry's chest? <laughs> 
Well, that's Harry's that's J.K. Rowling's romance. Is Harry is the monster in a chest that bursts out when no, he sees a pretty she's girl. She's amazing in all aspects, but I never thought that her her relationships were ever written very well. I was I'll, always I'll more. say this for J.K. Rowling: nobody ever gave birth to a baby that ripped out their spine. That's all I'm saying. Okay, I'm <laughs> I'm done. Wait, is that a, what reference am I missing here? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Anyway, okay, so then Snape comes into the picture. Are we at the part yet where they go? And, like, pretend to kill Ollivander? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can be I there. I love this scene, by the way. I thought it was just wrong. They're so clever. Like, I love that when they do yeah. all these things, and they're so clever about doing things. Oh, the cleverness of me. Ollivander. There's a scene towards the end of the reading today where Snape and Sirius sit Harry down and tell him, remind him that it's a choice to be bitter. Like, on one hand, I thought the dialogue was kind of a little bit forced, but on the other, I think the message is really quite profound, and it kind of shows how even though things may not be going perfectly, Harry is making the kind of changes that he wanted to make. Even if Sirius dies tomorrow or Snape dies tomorrow, they'll be happier men when they die because they won't be clinging on to these prejudices and concerns and that kind of stuff. And I really, I really liked that. And I think that she did, she fixed Snape in a way that I could buy her fixing Snape. You know, it wasn't I like, like yeah, I mean, he didn't, he didn't turn around 180 degrees. He's still, you know, kind so of stark and... I, I like it from a reading perspective, but I had trouble buying his friendship with Sirius. They just sort of buried the shovel so quickly. I had a difficult time with that too, but that was one of the many things that I kind of just, you know, went, oh, okay, moving on. If I thought about it too hard, I probably would have a problem with it. Probably because it didn't involve Remus. It's a failing of mine. See, whenever I, just, I hear Snape and he's like talking about the Voldemort, I keep thinking of like that song from The King and I where the girl is talking about her master and Lord of Master and she's like, he's pleased with me. And I keep thinking like, oh, change the words. He's not pleased with me my lord and master it makes me laugh you know like every time i go yeah. he's like yeah he's upset <laughs> i'm like okay so anyway. Did the baby i heard in the background did he just make a noise yeah he's like been kind of he's just wiggling around i'm not it's kind of uh, hard because i'm talking and like have this wiggly child in my arms i thought i heard that was so nice so are we jumping ahead too far, or can we talk about the whole uh, Percy bit? Yeah, let's talk about Percy. That's my, one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing, is the, the fake Percy death and then the uh, Azkaban attack. Yeah. So, I, I like what she, what was it she was said she was going to call the chapter already? Like, Harry goes apeshit, I think she was going to call it originally? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds about right. Out of control, I, that's I right. I love the emotion in that in that scene. And I really like how they're so close, to, so much closer to Percy in this whole bit. I know it's weird <laughs> in a good way. I like oh, okay. Percy in a bit. Like I think the, it's really interesting how he's still like going against his family. It's just in the opposite direction. Like mm-hmm. it's almost like Percy was had to have this um, separation from his family in order. To, I don't know in order to like grow as a person. He was always trying to prove himself against Bill and Charlie, and he doesn't quite sound out like the twins do. I mean, Percy and Ron are disturbingly similar. Like, you can make the same kind of comparisons about Percy and Ron that you can, say, Wormtail and Neville. Yeah. They, I think it's interesting how J.K. Rowling kind of has all of these. I'm not really sure if they're intentional or unintentional. I would argue with Neville and, and, and Peter, it's probably very intentional. But these, like, sort of parallel characters that have the same issues and some, the same sort of choices that lie in front of them. And they choose different ways to deal with those issues. And it's kind of a, this is the good way to do it, the bad way to do it sort of way. Do you think there's Percy, a difference, Chi, that makes them choose? Like, is, do you think that they're... What is it between Percy and Ron and Wormtail and Neville? Like, is there a difference in their situations that causes them to take the other path? Ron has Harry. Ron has 
something. I mean, yeah, Percy was always a loner. Percy was a loner. Percy never like, could find like, somebody that was. If you think about it, okay, Fred had George. Ron, to a certain extent, had Jenny, but really only that only happened when Ron had. He became happier when Ron had Harry. You know, and I that kind of that's very very. Most of the Weasleys tend to pair up like that, and, and Percy never did quite find somebody that was just a good mate, like a good friend. Like he had Penelope. But that was Penelope. Hey, I like yeah, that. I do too. What well, I think of that pig movie. The pig movie. I love the movie with Christina Ricci called Penelope, where she was a girl with a pig nose. <laughs> okay, I've never even heard Dude, of this movie. It's okay. Do you live under a rock? Seriously. <laughs> the, the girl with the pig nose movie. I never heard of that movie. I used to have like, a rock I, named Bob when I was a kid. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, when I was like eight, I had a pet rock named Bob. Oh my god. See, Mike <laughs> is like Percy. Mike has never found that other. No, I'm saying. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, because no, Mike has. Oh, but no one else ever had like an imaginary little pet when they were little kids. I didn't have a rock. Not a rock. But you, he wants a rock. See. Hi, Lee. Yep, there's Lee. Nope, I didn't have a toy rock, Mike. I had animals. I had, I had, <laughs> I had stuffed animals. Yeah. No, I had actual animals that pooped. <laughs> like... I was running out when I was a little kid and we couldn't get one. I had dolls that peed. Really? How does a doll like, fake pee? Because you put water in a bottle and you put the bottle in its mouth and there's a tube from its mouth to its butt and it pees. But what's the attraction of that? Because it's like a <laughs> real baby. Okay. <laughs> oh, a Betsy Wetsy? I don't know what it yes. was called. I just know. Yes. I had a Betsy Wetsy and I was it not just went right through it. Really? Yeah, because yeah, I wouldn't put the diaper on. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it came with these, like, gelatin... Oh, honey... What is the matter? See, Jen, that's thing. That 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 one really pees. Yeah, <laughs> I have been sprayed many a time already. Yeah, I know. You need to learn to put the diaper over the. I know. Well, he peed on my window curtains the other yesterday, and I was like, those were so expensive. I was so mad. We can't even clean them. We have to get them dry cleaned. Ugh. I was like, stuck. How did that even happen? Um, I I have no idea. It goes far. That's all I can say. <laughs> if you you take them to the dry cleaners, they're like never gonna believe. They're gonna think that like you guys had like a drunk party and like people peed on your curtains. What is that? Oh, he's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Especially right now. <laughs> Come here. I'm sorry. Here, I'm going to go for a second. I don't want to be like the screaming kid host. I'll, I'll be back in a minute. Bye, Lee. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's oh, I had a doll that it. cried and it terrified me. Like I had, I got it for Christmas and they turned it on for me. And like, I ran screaming from the room because it was like the most terrifying sound on earth. It See, sounded, I, sounded I so thought, real and freaky. I never thought girls got the cool toys because like, you have like, like what are you, you have like a doll that pees. You have like, I guess the easy bake oven thing was kind of cool. I'll grant you that. But like the boy toys that you always show you are like cars that you can sit in and drive or like Ghostbuster sludge that I, that's what I used to have. I had this sludge stuff that it really sludge down on you. I always like, wanted are... a car that I could drive. Yeah, me too. Me I always too. wanted We were dirt ass for though. We had like one of those ones that you could pedal. Wasn't that what they called? Power wheels? Yeah. yeah. This duck that used to be my dad's and it like has lead paint on it. And they were like, wash your hands after you play with the duck. <laughs> I guess it didn't kill me. Talk a little bit about Percy. I want to go back first and talk about the interlude with Molly Weasley first, where we finally see that the Weasleys, this is where they come around. I'm like the only person in the world who never knows this is chapter titles. I'm just... I never noticed story titles, Jen, so don't feel bad. And so this is what they have been waiting for. This is what the trio have been waiting for since the moment they came back was the point where the Weasleys would figure it out. 
and it, it did not happen the way they wanted it. It did not happen under the circumstances that they wanted, but it finally happened. It's finally come around. I don't necessarily think that Harry handled it in the best way. And the first memory he shows them is them dead. And I think he was angry and like, he, he was. was angry. He was angry. And they did need to see those things though. I think they, I think that was important that they did, but the way that they saw them was a little extreme, but I think that it's finally, it's, I, you know, you, you guys know what I'm saying. It's, it's yeah. finally, and, and at that moment when Harry gets that look in his face and it's the pure joy and then he shuts it down because these aren't his Weasleys. And I think I that, thought that that was like incredibly heartbreaking, by the way, like just that paragraph, because yeah. you've been waiting for it and you think like, oh good, Harry's finally gonna, and he doesn't like just snap out of it, which makes complete sense. I'd be irritated. Right. <laughs> irritated. I think that that undercurrent, that that, you know, they had said from the very beginning that they couldn't tell the Weasleys what was going on. They had to figure it out for themselves. And I think that was a double standard a little bit on their part. And I mean, we, were, we were talking briefly about this a little bit in the previous podcast. But to me, it's, it seems like some people, like, like even leaving aside Dumbledore because you need to know, but like, it seems like Sirius, for instance, he gets shown right away. And it seems like the Weasleys have to go jump through more hoops than some people do. And I, I, think I don't think it, it was intentional. I don't think it was intentional. I think the problem was that when they came back, they never imagined for a second that anything would be different with the Weasleys. So it wasn't as important to force them to come into the fold. You know, they were going to come on their own, and that's what they assumed coming in. But that's not the case, and that's not what happened. And so I think by the time they realized that things were irrevocably different with the family in this timeline, it was to the point where they would not have believed Harry and Ron and Ginny if they had just gone to them and told them the truth. They would have thought it was another lie, another scheme, and it would have pushed them farther away. So at that point, it became they had to figure it out on their own because that was the only way that they were going to accept it and believe it. Unless they went with, like, a pensive or something. But even that, I mean, we know from canon that pensives can be altered. But you know, no, in this one they say specifically. Yeah, Hermione said, they, and that's why she believed. Isn't that? Because I remember yeah, she told they, they she say told specifically in Hermione, here. and oh. Hermione said, that's right, because pensives oh. can't be altered, but memories can. Right. And if, if they it believe as badly of Harry and Ron and, and, you know, and Harry specifically in this story, then I could see them saying, no, you altered these memories before but you, do you we know, know you, that in this story? Do we know that pensives can't be altered? I mean, that get, memories can't be, because Slughorn's not in here. So is, do we know? Yeah, because we had all the yeah, books. Yeah, this is... This I is think, a, like, if they put them with Dumbledore and the show, like, the, the implication is, in this is strongly, like, once they, once you see the pensive, that's sort of irrefutable proof. That's well, kind of I mean, like... Even, even when Horace, like, fooled with his memory, it looked weird, didn't it? Like, you could tell there was something up. I mean, I don't yeah. have the memorized, but right. I think yeah, it was like, like, Everything fades out, and there's a booming voice going, you evil boys. Is that I don't necessarily think that even at that point, if they had shown them the pensive, they would not have believed them even with that. They would have found some way to rationalize. They altered the memories. You know, you can you can modify somebody's memory. They found some way, you know, Harry's evil, Harry's dark. He found some dark magic that could alter his memories, and then he put them in the pensive to make them believe that. I mean, that's how poorly they, they thought about him in this story. So I don't think even at that point they would have believed him. They had to come to this realization themselves. And I think that 
that that's, I mean, then that's why they had to, you know, that's why they fought and that's why there was this wedge between them for so long. But I think that it's, it's finally, this is what they came back for was to save this family. And, and here it is, you know? Yeah. It is kind of sad, but I think at the same time, it's kind of like there's a lesson to be learned about choice and about presented the opportunity to time travel. (laughs) What things are you going to change? And was one of their biggest mistakes not being more proactive and trying to secure the Weasleys? Because their disconnection saved their life. But who's to say they did get connected and they told them the truth that they they still wouldn't have lived? Yeah, for that matter, they're just muters. They seem like half of Hogwarts pretending to be dead and like hiding out in uh, 13 Grindelwald. Mike, stop it. It's not Grindelwald. Stop encouraging him. Number thirteen. I'm just gonna call it number. But my point, my point <laughs> I was just making that point that like so. I, I like how so many people are like pretending to be dead. That it's like it's like, it's like literally like what half a dozen people who are faking their deaths hiding out in uh, number thirteen. It's Hermione. It's a good thing it's a mansion. Wizard space. Yeah. <laughs> Ollivander, uh, Moody, Hermione, Ron, Harry, Jenny, Sirius, Percy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, like eventually you figure like Voldemort be like, I thought you were dead. I thought you. You were dead. I thought you were dead. I thought that Percy not really being dead was actually kind of that wasn't one of my favorite things. I thought he probably should have stayed dead. I, I never thought for a second he was dead because I didn't think for a second that the Sna- Snape, especially this Snape, was going to actually kill Percy. Like the minute I saw Snape going along, I was like, I, I, I just knew. However, it worked out. Percy wasn't going to be dead. I thought he was dead. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that I thought about it long enough to determine whether I thought he was dead or not. Like literally, when I saw Snape, a little light bulb went off, and I was like, oh they're going to do something or other here. Because, you know, it's Snape and it's one-on-one. It's not like he's in, it's not like Voldemort's there watching it. So I figured Snape would, I thought he was going to be like, oh, he screwed up the attack and he died in the attack kind of thing. They were a little bit more clever than that. Voldemort sends Snape and another Death Eater to kill Percy, right? Hang on, hang on. When they think he's dead. I can't remember the other Death Eater's name now, though. Anyway, my point that I was trying to make is, if I remember this correctly, Voldemort sends Snape and another Death Eater to kill Percy. Snape imperiased the other Death Eater and told them to bring him to the hog's head in. What happens to the Death Eater who's imperious? They obliviated him. I want to go back and talk about when they lost control. AKA Harry goes apeshit. Every once in a while, when I read a story, something resonates with me. Something that is written in such a way that it just, it resonates. It just clicks in my head. And this scene where they lose control, that is one of those scenes that I think is going to stay with me forever. Because it's not, at that moment, it's not about who was lying and who was telling the truth. It's not about believing. It's not about fighting anymore. About It's about revenge. It's about these people hurt someone. I love and I am going to hurt them back. And it's one of those moments that, you know, the one person that I don't understand, not don't understand, but the one person who doesn't feel like he should be there is Neville because he still is a child and all the others are men. You know, Harry is a man. He might be in a child's body, but he's a man. And, and, And Arthur and Bill and Charlie, they're all grown men. And then there's Neville. And that, I think, is what makes it so sad for me that Neville is still a 15 year old kid and he has he's taken someone's life and not in a battle situation not in a if i don't kill them they're going to kill me in that moment it was a i'm going and i'm going to murder someone whether i mean not saying that it wasn't justified and these weren't very bad people but the point is that 
you know, that made me incredibly sad that at that point, Neville crossed that line. Yeah, I agree. With you. To me, it was like, it, he should have been like how Harry was in um, year three. Even though, like, intelligently, Harry sparing Wormtail was the wrong thing to do. And when he goes back, Harry's not going to make that same mistake again. At the age of 13, he, it was the right choice for him to make, if that makes sense. And the same thing, even though Neville was whatever at 15, and it's the same sort of thing. He shouldn't, it's sad, it's wrong, whatever word you want to use to see him in that position. And it's made worse because this is, he, they stick him with Bellatrix of all, and I understand that's who he wants revenge on, but at the same time, it's just like, you, should, you shouldn't put a kid at that age with the person who killed his parents and then tell him to go torture her and kill her, no matter how bad she is. It's just, that's the sort of thing that, you know, Harry should deal with that. I don't know. So I feel like I, I kind of agree. I do agree with that. I just, I think it's another example of like Harry forgetting not, that they're not know, there. Right. But Neville isn't as old as Harry is. Harry should do a lot more, I think, to protect Neville than he does. Um, when did Neville die in the first future? Like, did he see Neville as an adult or did Neville die in the attack on us? I don't know that we know. Do we know? I don't remember. When Neville still I'm kills the snake, does, in their future, Neville still kills the snake, right? So he's at least alive at 17. I just can't remember because, like, it's one thing with Hermione because I think Hermione did, like, did live to adulthood, I think, to some. But She marries um, Ron, doesn't she? Yeah. But Luna, like, I know Luna died as a child. Yeah, and then Neville marries Hannah. So he can't really. Oh, right. Okay. So so he does know adult. He does know Neville's an adult. Yeah, they have to be because, yeah, he was at least old enough to marry anyway. So he had to be at least, like, 18. Well, obviously, in this story, things kind of stretch on a little bit longer. The war doesn't end in Hogwarts. I guess the divergence is that they think they need the Hallows to defeat Voldemort when really, it, it must have confusing, but really in canon, they didn't really need the Hallows to defeat Voldemort. It was Harry's willing to sacrifice, not a blatant manipulation of power. Am I right? Is that the point of divergence or is it earlier than that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. It's hard to say because Snape still does in their world. I don't know if the snake kills him, but we know that he gives Harry the memories before he dies. So he has yeah. to die in a somewhat similar way that he did in canon, but you don't know whether that's he dies at the age of 70 when Harry's 17 or whether he dies at the last battle whenever the last battle is um, but we know Dumbledore everything up to book 6 is exactly the same I think and then somewhere yeah. in year 7 it goes right. I think part of the problem was that it took them longer to find all the Horcruxes and they couldn't kill Voldemort until they got all the Horcruxes so like while they were hunting for Horcruxes like other stuff that didn't happen in canon happened like Voldemort killed all the kids he kills the kids when Harry's in Hogwarts doesn't he, he no he kills okay he he must kill the kids after... Well, first of all, obviously, Ginny escaped, so it must have been after Ginny went into hiding. But Harry sees it himself. Isn't there, like, some scene where Harry remembers seeing it? He so sees he it through Voldemort's there. memory, doesn't he? With a chart. I was under the impression that it happened when he was going after the um, the diadem, and he was in Hogwarts. And then him and Ginny escape at the last minute, but there's, like, fiend fire unleashed by Voldemort when he goes to uh, attack Hogwarts, because he figures it out. Like, near the end, I thought was when Hogwarts burned. Oh, so it wasn't like they're their, like, group. Yeah, it was like kind of like an alternate battle of Hogwarts. Was how okay, it was. I get it. So it did, it happened a few years after they left school, which is why Seamus is still alive and stuff. Cause right, because they because their year, I guess, would be... Had right. already left school. That's how I interpret it. I could be wrong, but that's All right, how okay, I... no, stop, stop. I have, I, I have proof of when, it, or rather, like, how long it took, because Teddy Lupin was three years old. I think they oh. say Teddy was three when they killed Remus, Tonks, and Teddy. Which would mean three years longer than
than in canon, right? Right. Because he was newborn when they defeated him last time. Yeah, so, like, it yeah. happened in, say, like, around 2000 or 2001. And then they wait still more years after Voldemort's defeated before they go. Because aren't they, like, are almost 30 when they go back in time? Well, see, they are 24, I think, when they decide to start or something. Oh, then, they then it takes them so long to make the potion and stuff. So, it's a, so they defeat Voldemort at age, like, 20, and they kind of putter around for four years. They're closer to 21 because it's three years. Okay, so they call it 21, so they put her around for three years. They, it takes they, them a year to start the potion, and then it takes them six, seven years to finish it. Yeah. To finish it. So then the 30, when they actually do it, go back in time. 30, 31, somewhere in there, yeah. So then post-war, so that's the time spent. The war went goes on three years longer. So they spent like around, the war's been over for like ten years. See, that almost makes it even more selfish what they did, because everyone else got on with their lives with ten years worth of living. But see, the thing is, it's yeah, not, I dead, think it's too. kind of lost over in the story because they really only care about the people they loved, but a lot of people die. I mean, it was like, yeah, first it's of not all, just... the entire generation of kids at Hogwarts died. So that means you skip seven years of people where there is no one. You know, I mean, like, I think the fact that, I don't, I mean, I'm beginning to think it's not as selfish as I already, I originally thought it was. Because really, it's... Because the scope the is so different. goes on, but I mean, well, there I, are these holes. I guess I think of it, you know, like, I think of it sort of like this in my head. That if you said, okay, you can go back in time to stop World War II, etc., all that stuff. And, you know, in 1945, everyone would probably say yes. But if you get to, like, 1955, 1960, do you still say yes? Because then you're undoing everything that's happened in between and all the recovery and all the new lives people have made recovering from the war. If you put it in the right perspective, if you're talking about going back and and saving the entire world (laughs) and, and looking at losses in that sense, you know, that's one thing. But if you're looking at it, the losses in the sense of the of the wizarding community because i mean obviously you know there were probably a lot of muggle casualties of the war but they are thinking of it in terms of the wizarding population and in that sense proportionally there were a lot more people i think that were affected if you look at it not by the numbers but by the portion percentage of the population who died after this and i mean obviously we, the scope of the deaths in this universe is so much bigger than what it was in canon and it, it's like PS was saying an entire generation of children is dead you can't that, that's even huge... put your head around it because like nothing that you really have a personal like acquaintance with has ever happened in the real world I mean because there's no like school where like all the children in the world go you know I mean it's like right probably right. closest to World War One, where you have after World War One ends to like the lost generation and you know 20 years later where those classes should be there's no I mean you, you can almost kind of like equate it with the Holocaust and like you know like the yeah. Like Jewish population of Europe like didn't like recover itself yeah. from what happened, and, and, and even in though that not sense, all of them did die. You know, I mean, you can you can be like, well, like would you stop the Holocaust because it had such a negative effect on the population of Jews in Europe? And then you think, well, like maybe there's like this couple that like survived and met and fell in love in the concentration camp. So it's like there's something like good that happened. But like, do you know what I'm saying? Well, I, I see what you're I, saying. I'm, I, I'm so I guess I'm a little skeptical. To me, I guess it's a difference of time too. Like it's sort of like if I. I said right after the Holocaust, let's go back in time and fix everything. But, but here's the other thing. Okay, so at first it's only been four years when they decide to do this, when they decide to make this potion. I don't think people have recovered. I don't think that it's because I think there are so many gaps in the society. I think that people are taking a longer time to recover. So it's been four years. That's one thing. Yes, by the time they actually do it, it's been almost 11. But they're also, every time they put something in this potion, they're taking out their memories. By the 
time they are ready to do the potion and, and say the incantation, they don't even remember who they are. Yeah, that's the black-haired person, the red-haired person. Right, and yeah. so I think that that has something to do with it as well, in, in that it's not, you know, yes, by that point, other people might have gotten on with their lives, but they don't remember that. That's a good point. And so, and I don't think, and and so it's not necessarily being selfish because they don't remember any other way by the time they're ready to go back. I I will say this, one thing about this story that absolutely drove me up the freaking wall, because I, I mean, I I very rarely, very, very rarely read uh, WIP stories. I mean, I want everything to be done and sewn up and finished so that I'm not, you know, waiting on tenor hooks for the next chapter to come out. But this was an exception and I started reading this around the time that she started writing, um, probably four or five chapters in is where I picked up on this story. And the thing that absolutely drove me crazy is that every once in a while, you'll have a chapter and it says, this chapter takes place two months ahead of the last chapter, but the chapter that follows this is going to be two months before or the week before the chapter that just happened. Oh, that drove and that, me oh my God, that drove me up the freaking wall. I could not imagine writing that. I could barely write it in a straight line. And Oh, I know it. And then to think, but to think about the stuff that happens in the sequel... Holy crap. I don't know how she kept it all straight. Yeah. I really I don't. I could never see, like, whatever I may say about the story. I love this story, by the way. I mean, it's, like, easily in my top five. But whatever I may say about the story, like, I have infinite respect for her because she was able to keep it all straight. Like, she was oh, able to it. write. There's no big holes, I don't think, in this plot. Like I Even think- when you think there are big holes, they get settled no. out. I just want to kind of go back and hit some high point. The interlude with Tom Riddle, where we're seeing things from his point of view. And then we're interrupted with the first episode of Potter watch or that double uh, or Voldemort's an ass watch or whatever it was the uh, Harry whatever they call it and and they can't they're trying to figure out how to turn it off that just it cracked me up when I was reading it it was just like he can't oh my god I just I laughed so hard when I when I read that it was so funny and, and then it, it juxtaposes and we find out exactly how Percy dies and then we jump forward again and it's just like, but, but, what? And I got so confused. So confused at that point. I know. Like, I almost think I didn't like it. Because even though I read it all in one sitting and I didn't have to, to wait like Rena did, it was too, con- it was almost too confusing to be good. You know, but there, there was some other things I just wanted to hit on. Um, the, the thing that in, what was it, chapter 35, the one about Diagon Alley, when they help the family get in and they are killed. Oh. That broke my heart. You know, that, I think that steps over and, again, it, it's just little things like that that really force you to realize that this is a completely different world. And I, I like that. Like, I like that this story isn't just Harry, Ron, and Ginny going through all the things they want to change. I like that there are things that, real things that happen, like, as a result of their actions. That in some ways, they were they were able to fix a lot, but a lot of things wound up for the worse. And I like that it's in this same chapter where Molly sets up the muggle-born safe houses and she finally steps into a more motherly kind of role than what we've seen her of her in this story in the past. You know, she's she's getting to, she's protecting people, she's being proactive and she's doing what she can to help. I thought that was a really nice touch that they added, that she added that in because it, it is, that is more of the Molly that we expect. Makes her not seem like just such a <laughs> cold, heartless bitch. Kids. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Well, you know, I think throughout <laughs> canon, one thing about Molly Weasley is she always, you see her torn between her desire that she's a, gen- a genuinely good person and she wants to help others and her fear of what that helping others is going to cost 
her family. And I think that's something deep in her character. You know, like she wants to help the order, but she's terror. Her deepest fear is her kids joining the order and then getting hurt. And so that's sort of her this tightrope she walks between. She, yes, she's a good person, but no, she doesn't really want her family in any danger at all. You need a character like that in Harry Potter. Nothing makes a war hit home more than a mother mourning her child. But that, that's the reason why I found her character in this. Why I was able to understand her character because I didn't look at it as her ceasing to be the person who loves everyone who loves little orphan children and who wants to take care of people and all that. I looked at it as it being an example of her fear for her family and that when she's sort of cold to Harry in the start of it, it's not because she's not a nice person or she whatever, whatever. It's just because this is her concern for her family taking the forefront. I can't say that I disagree with anything that they actually do other than the kind of cruel heartedness that comes across. Even Mr. Weasley, I love that scene too. And that's such a horrible scene to read. But from his perspective, I I understand it. I do. Yeah. And that's a huge responsibility to take on that sort of role for a child. I, I don't know how poor Harry. I know. I was about to cry. And like, he, like, did he even eat the sandwich? That's what I want to know. Their little moment that stuck out to me was when Harry comes in and, and sees Molly and runs up and hugs her and she is acting so strange and it's because that's not his Molly. He switches back to calling her Mrs. Weasley and she's saying, no, you, it's okay. You can call me Molly. And he says, no, you know, because his Molly has been dead for 10 years, you know, for, for more than 10 years. And, and it, another thing, another one of those little moments that just reaches out and punches you in the nose. But you know what, too? On the flip side, I think, I honestly think Harry is also, that attitude is part of the problem that keeps them from becoming close. I agree. Is that, is that he sort of instills this almost artificial, like he separates those Weasleys from his Weasleys. I'm doing it in quotes with my fingers. That, that you don't see him do with anyone else. Like, you don't see him do that with Sirius. He never thinks Sirius and my Sirius, or even Snape would be a better example because of the huge personality change Snape has. You never hear him think, you know, Snape and my Snape or anything like that. It's a Weasley thing and that contributes to the the problem, I think. Well, I agree. I mean, he doesn't handle the situation very well and he forces it, you know. He talks in several occasions about encouraging Ron and Ginny to reopen the relationship with their parents and, and to be friends with them again and to accept them back and to go back into the family, but he won't do that. And I think that that is, it is his attitude. He is being difficult in, in that sense. Cutting off his nose despite his face. Right. Because he's telling Ron and Ginny, well, they're your family. Well, but they were his family too. And, and you know, no, they didn't bear him and raise him or anything, but they were his family and, and it makes a difference. Um, I also like the exploding giant head. I thought that was an interesting way to um, to take down the giant that was in one of these <laughs> chapters, I believe. I'm sorry, I'm skipping around. I like how they keep assuming that it would be Fred and George playing a prank in everyone, the whole uh, other person time traveling. Like, well, if anyone would be doing this as a prank, it would be you two. So, any final thoughts on our chapters tonight? Sounds like we're kind of winding down. I can't remember where it was, but somewhere there's a chapter from Voldemort's point of view. And I would love to see more of those, because I would love to see his... Because this Harry is so different from Harry and canon. Like, you know, I would love to see Voldemort's reaction when those bodies start dropping. Because in a lot of ways, Harry fights this war. I don't want to... I was going to say more like Voldemort, but that's not what I mean. But like, like sort of like how when Dumbledore fights Voldemort in canon, it's very much like on a, a higher moral level 
like we're not going to kill you know this thing's worse than death love is the one true power like you know that whole spiel but Harry in this he's very much he's I, I, maybe it goes back to Ken where they're so similar but just in different sides when I say he's like Voldemort I mean that you know in a lot of ways he reacts to, like you know like he reacts to Voldemort in a more in a way I think Voldemort maybe understands better than how Dumbledore reacts to him like like I think I, I don't know how to say it but it's almost more like I liked it because I liked it too yeah it was interesting yeah, it, it, it's more like more offensive war he's not there we on, go. There we he's go. not a reactionary figure anymore he's yeah. definitely more proactive and death matters to him like, I think he takes more of the same view of death as Voldemort does than Dumbledore does and that his reaction to these things is to hit Voldemort back with death maybe that's the way to put it whereas like I don't think Dumbledore ever in a hundred years would ever think of doing something like what Harry did no matter who was killed I could never see him doing that it's the sort of reaction you could see Voldemort doing with like the good guys it's kind of like more of a, a gritty war yeah, yeah. I'll agree. I like this story I liked it since the first time I saw it I think that it caught my attention and, and it's rare that a story is able to do that especially a work in progress most of the time I'm just like no uh-uh, not done I'm not reading it yet call me when it's finished then I'll check it out but this one it really caught my attention and, and I think that it, it touches on a lot of things that I, I think it has a lot of intense emotion in it that you don't see that, that kind of just raw emotion in a lot of stories at least not to this degree and I really really like that I agree mm-hmm. I agree like I think a lot of this story has a lot of really strong images that stick in your mind like yeah. I, I know that um, it has it has really strong reread value to me because I really I rarely reread a lot of fan fiction like I'll read I, I always like to read before the podcast and then I'll go back like taking notes for the podcast I'll be like oh I gotta take notes and blah 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 and it's like a chore but this is a story where it's like you could drop me down with like any chapter in it and I could just read right to the end I don't know I I think I need to finish it I stopped at 38 thus far I'm not nearly as odd by it as those others seem to be <laughs> I find the writing is too extreme and a little bit too raw from time to time it's just it's not it doesn't I just think I'm not sure if it's I ate bad cheese when I was trying to read it or it um cheese <laughs> you're so funny you know you're not the first person to do that um I, you know I think it'll be interesting to see what I feel like next week when I come back and I've read more of the story the end because we're going up to the end of this yeah, I've read, I, it'll be interesting to see what I feel like when I've read all the way up to the end of the story next week we'll be covering the, the end. story next we're week at the end. we're at going to the end including yeah, some of those are pretty great so it's going to be interesting and uh, we're going to find out who Merlin is kind of right and kind of wrong with my theory that I was right there was a Merlin so I'm still kind of impressed with my theory I was, right. I was very very wrong <laughs> I didn't even bother trying to guess what, what I'm referring to is last one when, before we knew anything about someone he, Merlin impersonating a person or any of that I came up with the idea just because of Luna's conversation that oh I bet Merlin went back but I was thinking it was like actual Merlin Merlin real King Arthur Merlin like going back in time to help him <laughs> but I'm still somewhat impressed that I that I figured out oh I bet there's something with Merlin coming here somebody give Mike a cookie or potato that's it for the evening good night guys good night good night To the wonder that those books brought to our lives. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.